Guys, it's so good to be together, and I really am looking forward to our responding together to God's Word. So, um, yeah, I just echo what he was saying there around each bringing a word, bringing an encouragement. It's going to be a good night together. The book of Exodus, this is our sixth Sunday studying it, and I know there are a bunch of new faces here, so I wanted to quickly put up a quote from the second week when we were together. Um, Alex Mutia wrote a long commentary on Exodus, and he was in the lounge one day with a bunch of students around, and they said to him, Alec, you spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Please help us understand, how do the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together? Like, why the Old Testament? You know, surely we should do the after Jesus stuff. And this is what he said to the, the students gathered in the living room. He said, think about it. Think about it. Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan after passing through the Red Sea. That's exactly where we are in the story. They've just passed through the Red Sea. That's exactly where we are. If you asked an Israelite, who are you? the deepest questions you can ask someone, who, who are you? They might reply, I'm an accountant, or no jokes. <laughs> who are you? He might reply, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And our mediator, that's Moses, led us out and we crossed over. Now we're on our way to the promised land, but we're not there yet. But he has given us his law to make us a community. He's given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness. And he is present in our midst and he will stay with us until we arrive home. And that's exactly what a Christian says almost word for word. You see, there's much that we can learn from this book of Exodus. And if you're a guest and this quote is new to you and some of the terms are new to you, terms like, you know, mediator, tabernacle, well, stick with us, we will cover it all. But the story essentially has got two parts to it. The first part has been drawn out, you can say, the drawing out of a people out of Egypt. That's what we've covered up until now, the first five weeks. You've got a people coming out of the tyranny of Pharaoh out of over 420 years of slavery. And you might ask yourself, well, how did they do it? Did they get a battle formation? Did they outwit, outsmart? No, they actually did very little. It was God who freed them. It was God who drew them out. Uh, here's a quote from what we looked at last week, Exodus 14 from verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord. See him rescuing you, in other words, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. At this moment, they had the Red Sea, they had Pharaoh, his chariots, and, and the promise there is, you're not going to ever see them again. They were fearing Pharaoh, and Moses' word to them would have been a great encouragement. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So how did they get drawn out? They got drawn out by grace. They got drawn out by God. They got drawn out by the mighty hand of Yahweh. And now, for the rest of our journey, we're going to see them drawn in drawn into the promised land, drawn into community with God, His presence leading them. And why this is going to be 40 years is because whilst they were out of Egypt, Egypt wasn't out of them, and they needed this process of formation. So they're on the banks of the Red Sea, and we're now following this second half of the book, which, which is all about being drawn in to relationship with God. We're going to see, firstly, some highs of worship, the first time ever recorded that a congregation got together and sung. We're going to see the lyrics of that song, and we're going to get to see the highs of worship. We're also going to see the lows of testing, because we're going to see that they are going to have some things revealed about themselves, and then finally, we're going to have the gift of resting, which I don't 
don't know about you, but could you do with the rest? <laughs> they needed one, and so do we. So let's get going. The highs of worship. They've crossed the Red Sea, and this is the first thing they do. They overflow in worship. So let's read from chapter 15, verse 1. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, should I sing it or should I read it? How do you guys? I think I'll, I'll say it. Okay, I'll say it. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a man of war. Why? Because he did draw them out of Egypt, but Egypt came after them. Pharaoh and the chariots came after them, and this battle for ownership took place, and God won that battle for ownership. The Egyptians will not be seen by the people of Israel again, and they will be led into his freedom. And so they sing, and they make much of God. And that might catch us by surprise, because remember, previously they were fearful of Pharaoh, a great victory was won, and then they were described as fearing Yahweh, fearing God. And you might think, well, if they fear God, Surely their eyes should be downcast. They should be almost quiet as a dormouse. They should be, they should be just kind of silent. But no, no, no. When they, when they encounter God, when they see God, when they, when they have God revealed to them, the first thing they do is just overflow in worship. See, God's presence transforms you. You can't keep it to yourself. It overflows in song. Uh, I know I'm going to lose some of you here, but picture Mojo Market, Rugby World Cup 2019, uh, Sia Khaleesi holding the trophy, you know, Vili LaRue finally catching the ball, you know, whatever it was, fuff, not kicking, you know, I don't know what it was for you, but that moment where you just went, yes, yes, you can't keep it to yourself. Well, maybe to get some of you back on board with me, when you hear of a friend, um, you know, giving birth to a child or a family member getting healed from COVID, you know, you just have to go, yes, there's something inside of you that can't just keep that within yourself. And it's the same with the people of God. They've seen His hand and they just respond in worship. Now, I've only given you a little bit of the lyrics. They keep going. There's a definite structure. You can see they look back. They look forward. The lyrics are there for you to read. Now, I recommend you go do that in Exodus 15. It's our first kind of congregational song. But I want to draw up just a few things that can maybe help us as we respond in worship today and in the future. The first thing you'll notice is that the lyrics remember specific things happening. Did you pick it up there about the horse and the rider? It's not some generic like, yeah, God, you're good, you're good, it's, you're more good, you're more good. It, there's actually specific stuff that they want to remember. There's actually an event. Whoa. Now, that was an event. An event which they can celebrate I think they turned to speak on in the mom's room. That's what I suspect happened. Welcome. Welcome the moms. You guys are heroes. Heroes for being here. And you, I hope your eardrums recover from what just happened. They're remembering specifics. The good news, the gospel means good news. And the important thing to realize, not just that it's good, but that there's news. There's actually an event. And that's why we will sing about a cross and we'll sing about resurrection and we'll sing about a specific event that's turned history upside down. It's important to get that. You might have maybe heard this phrase before. Um, I preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I get the heart behind that, which is to say we should live a message, not just talk a message. But to say that it just is enough to live the message is insufficient. There actually are words we can use. There's a person we can talk about. 
There's an event we can talk about. There's not a faith in something generic out there. No, there's a faith in a specific person who died and was resurrected, who we are trusting will represent us before a holy God. There is news to this message. And so when we worship, let's get specific. Let's mention that. Maybe in your own life, if you've had God turn around, I can think back to my student days. I can think to, back to the bedroom I was in. I can think back to prayer meetings I was part of. There are specific things where I go, God, you touched my life. I was ne I'm never the same since then. And so when I worship, those are some of the things that I just use to remind myself, I've seen your track record in history, but I've also seen your track record in my life. Worship should deal with specifics. Secondly, it should focus on God. Let's read this from verse 11. Who is like you, O, o Lord? Remember, this is Yahweh. I am that I am among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There are many ways in which we can arrive every Sunday. I mean, many times it's like, oh, I can't believe I had to park so far away. Ah, it's going to rain. I hope it doesn't rain. Oh, my gosh, if it rains, then I have to go back to my car. Oh, my gosh. There's so many ways in which we can arrive, and we can allow those circumstances to dictate our level of focus as we worship. But the people of God didn't do that. They went, no, God, I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm making you the focus. Part of how I've defined our, our job as um, leaders in this community is to say, in a world that's endlessly distracted, in a world that offers endless options, one of the greatest gifts we can offer you is to help you focus on what's eternally important. Help you focus on what's eternally important, being with God becoming like God and doing what He would do. And worship is one way in which we have our hearts conditioned to go, no, it's, it's about you, God, and we focus on you. So it's about specifics, it's about focusing on God. Another thing to notice about worship is that it, it isn't just dealing with the present circumstances, it also looks forward to the future. It says, you know, God's taking us somewhere. There is a promised land, there's a destination, a new heavens and a new earth where we won't need a temple because God will be with us. Where we won't, we won't need, um, there won't be any, any kind of, Doubt about why we're there and what we're doing as we co-heirs with Christ. Listen to this from verse 17. The people singing next to the Red Sea, they say, you will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, which is a picture of where we're heading, the new heavens, the new earth. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. We're going to go and live in God's house. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Book of Hebrews later will speak about the city whose designer and builder is God. Imagine what that city is going to be like. So when we worship, we don't just think about where we're currently at. No, we, we get a trajectory full of hope around where we're heading. We're pilgrims with the presence of God leading us into the promised land. And finally, the thing about worship which we pick up from them is that they had an incredibly joyous experience. I've got in my notes here, they gave it horns for the Joburgers that have moved down to Cape Town. There's a phrase. Let's read from verse 20. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, who's also the sister of Moses, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. These are some frightful verses we're reading here, right? Tambourines, dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea, which are the exact same verses Moses had right at the beginning. The lyrics are catching on. This is the number one Christian hit of the time. This is Bethel slash Hillsong coming in strong. There are tambourines. There is dancing. There is joy. There is vibe. There is overflow. This is Mojo Market after the World Cup. And remember, they didn't have a music shop. This wasn't our, can I please have one tambourine? 
I don't know what this involved. Maybe this was coconuts cut, animal strings, stones, rocks. This was actually anything you could get your hands on. We're going to smash it together. We're just going to start creating fire because this is too good to be true. This is about a God who has rescued us, who's drawn us out. And if you read something like this, Common Ground Church, I, I hope something inside you goes, we're not there yet. I mean, we just did a little audit on our hearts. I mean, I, I know I'm talking about myself. Before I even speak to all of us gathered, but actually we, 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 when we worship, we, we don't often make it about him and about a focus on him and his goodness and the future and where he's taking us. We, we can get so small-minded and so caught up in our own stuff, often on the way to church. That's where Leanne and I have our most potent fights about why we're late and what's happened to the kids and did you pack snacks? I didn't pack snacks. That was your job. You know? And it's just all of that can just totally rob us of this experience of gathering before God. And that's not just a moment on a Sunday. That's our whole of lives. We can just live, although aware of the value of God, just under-appreciating it and therefore under-expressing His value in our lives. So we're not there yet, but I trust that, that we see an incredible meal prepared for us, an incredible feast given to us, God's presence that we can enjoy and worship together. So that's a high of worship. They're getting that right. They're giving full expression to it. But the story needs to go on. They don't stay in that place because God is forming them. It's important to get this. When you think of what's coming in the future, perhaps you've been told, oh, we're just going to worship God forever. And you're picturing harps and clouds. And, you know, maybe after the seventh song, a little bit of boredom kicking in. Like, how does this work? And it's a truncated view. Yes, there'll be worship, but worship is not just singing whole lives are worship. We're going to be co-heirs with Him in the new heavens and new earth. We're not just looking forward to understand what's going to happen. We need to look to the beginning, to Genesis, to be made in the image of God. Remember that in those days, a kingdom would extend, and as it extended, the king would put a statue of wood or iron or stone and say, this is my kingdom. I'm representing myself through these images. But that's not how Yahweh worked. No, Yahweh said, I made you male and female. I made you. In the beginning, I made you. And I'm making you my image bearers out of flesh. And you're going to give expression to my kingdom by your love for me and your love for one another. And so I've taken you out of slavery. I've drawn you out. But before I draw you into the promised land, I need to make you image bearers. Because 400 years of slavery have robbed you of your true identity. You've, you've been deformed, and you need to be reformed. You've, you're in need of recreation. And so for the next 40 years, I'm going to be doing that work amongst you. My presence is going to shape you into the kind of people that are going to be my image bearers, not just for the next couple of decades, but for all eternity. That's what I have for you. And so you are going to experience some times of testing. Because something of what is inside of you needs to be revealed. And unfortunately, these early tests are not going to go well for you, but they're going to give you an opportunity to see reality and bring that to, into my presence, and, and, and you're going to be able to be reformed as a people. Think about what 400 years of slavery does to you. You've never really had to make any significant decisions. You get told exactly what to do when. You've never had to probably budget or kind of work out any kind of chariot repayment plan, or buy your own home. I mean, there's nothing of that sort. You're a slave. You sit around at home, and what do you do? You blame everything on Pharaoh. God, Pharaoh, what a lame Pharaoh. I like the old Pharaoh. It's politicians. They're clueless, man. When are they going to end lockdown? This is terrible, you know? They just moan and moan and moan, and in many ways, they never took responsibility for their lives. They never grew up because they were slaves, and 400 years of slavery doesn't make you a mature image bearer. It makes you an immature 
suffering, sad expression of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so crossing the Red Sea is not enough. The presence of God is required to reform them. So let's see how it goes. They've had a song. Now they start the journey. Moses, from verse 22, made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Sur. They went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. Three days in a wilderness with no water. This isn't good. This is not good. How are they going to respond? They've seen God deliver them from Egypt. They've seen deliver them from plagues, from Pharaoh, through the Red Sea. How will they respond? Will they say something like, oh God, we don't know how it's going to work, but we've seen you come through. How are you going to do it this time? Eager anticipation. No, no, no. Let's read what their response is. Verse 23. When they came to Marah, Mara, they could not drink the water. A bit of a disappointment. They could see there was water there. They rushed there. But they could not drink it because it was bitter. And therefore it was named Mara, which means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, I've said this is a low of testing because here was a moment for them to lean in in eager anticipation to anticipate God's goodness, to anticipate God's breakthrough. Instead, they grumble. And of course, how is, how is Yahweh going to respond? How is Moses going to respond? That's the key question because they're not even three days out and they're, they're already losing confidence in God's goodness. Let's read how they respond. Verse 25 says, Here Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So this bitter water, through the intervention of a log or a tree, became sweet. And as someone who struggled with a green pool for large chunks of my life, this is just an incredible, incredible miracle of God to, to get the pH level perfect, to kind of get the breakthrough there. And all of a sudden, there's living water that flows through a people in the middle of a desert. Just how gracious is God? How gracious is God? I mean, they've had all this goodness. They had one little three-day obstacle. They're full of moaning, and he goes, hey, don't worry, I'll sort it out, Moses. Here we go, log, tree, get it in there. Bitter, sweet. And he then leads them to an oasis which has 12 living springs and 70 palm trees, representing the 12 tribes, representing the 12 brothers, um, representing 70, this kind of more complete number. It's just full of imagery saying, you grumble, but yet I've been good to you. You might say, Paul, how did you know this was a test? What was going on here? Let me, let me read to you. It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Verse 26, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I've put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Now, maybe, you, maybe you're not comfortable with this whole thing of testing. Like, what's God doing testing them? How does this work? What, what's up with the test? Maybe a helpful way to look at this is that if we're living in unreality, if we don't know what's going on in our own hearts, we can't, we can't, we can't take steps forward. We can't move from slavery into image bearers. God in his kindness is using tests to show them what's going on in their lives so that they can mature and develop. Someone helped me um, explain it like this. They said, you know when you think you've got your credit card and you're going through life, like, woo, got my credit card, and then you try to pay for something and you're like, where's my credit card? 
Where's my credit card? And then suddenly you start thinking, when last did I have a credit card? When last did I use the credit card? Where's my, has someone taken my credit card? Should I cancel my credit card? You know, and that whole panic starts to come. So in many ways, we can go through life thinking we have something. Oh, we know the knowledge of God. I know God's good. I know, I know this stuff. But in the moment of testing, we actually see what is inside of us, what we actually have. And it's a gift to us because it then helps us go, whoa, something that I thought was there is not there. I need to go and sort it out. Or something I thought I'd left in Egypt a long time ago hasn't been left in Egypt. It's still in me and it needs to come out. So the tests of God come into our lives either to show us we don't have something we thought we had or we've got something we thought we got rid of. And in his kindness, having revealed that to us, he says, bring it to me, come into my presence, let's, let's change, let's move, let's become image bearers that represent my kingdom to the world. I'm blessing you to be a blessing. And so these tests that God brings are not so that he can go, ah, I got you, no, so that he can reveal truth to us and we can take actions. So you'll see there even he says, hey, none of the diseases I put on the Egyptians. He said, that stuff I was doing because I was trying to reveal myself to them. I was trying to make myself known. I hope I don't have to go that level with you if you just listen. But even if I do, I'll be your healer. I'm here to help form you. And if the decisions you make end up damaging you big time, I'm still going to come alongside and heal you because my presence does that. My presence does that. So their first test, they fail. It's a low, but there's another test coming. Let's see how they do here. They set up from Elam, which is the Paradise 12 Living Springs, 70 palm trees. And all the congregation of peop people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So there's geography accuracy, there's time accuracy. The specifics, again, the specifics. And the whole congregation, there's verse 2, the whole congregation. Now, this is the whole congregation that had just worshipped, just sung the lyrics, tambourines, dancing. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, I don't know how many times they had meat pots and, and bread, but I don't think it's that often as a enslaved people. I think there's some absolute unreality that you're living in, but in the, in, the, in the pressure cooker of a wilderness experience, this is what's coming out. This is what's been revealed. Now, once again, I ask you, how is Moses going to respond? How is Yahweh going to respond? Have they had enough? Let's read from verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. How gracious is that? How incredible. You're grumbling to me. I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Not just some days. Every day. That I may test them. It's another test. I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God's going to provide bread from heaven. How good is that to a grumbling people? And he's going to say to them, you can collect up every day. And one of the things is not to try to store it up for the next day. I will come every morning and I will provide manna. You don't have to store it up. You can trust me. And on the sixth day, when you go and gather, you'll get double the portion. So on the seventh day, there's going to be nothing there. You go out there, there'll be nothing there on the seventh day. But I want you to 
have a Sabbath rest. I want to I get that into you as an enslaved people. I want to give you a new rhythm of life. So there's, there's the test. Will you go out and just gather enough for every day? And will you trust me that on the sixth day, I will give a double portion for you? How does this test go? How does this test go? Verse 19. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And this is a verse I really appreciate. Moses showing that he is human. Moses was angry with them. He just couldn't believe it. He's like, guys, bitter water made sweet. Bread from heaven. Just trust him that it'll be there tomorrow. And yet they can't. They keep it. They, they don't trust. And this is a big deal because it's bottom line, what it's revealing is it's saying, we might say we trust God, but truthfully, we have to squirrel away a little bit here. We're like that ice age guy with his nut. You know, we got we to gotta have that because that's our security for the next day. And God's saying to him, no, 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 trust me. New every morning will be my mercies. Trust me. One of the, the stories coming out of World War II, which was just incredibly um, interesting, was these children who'd been harmed by war in all kinds of ways, had just, had just had their limbic system triggered, and they were fight or flight the whole time. And when they would go to bed in these orphanages, they would often see them tucked up with bread in their cheeks. They were going to bed storing up bread in their cheeks. And, and they were realizing that these kids were never sure where their next meal was coming from. So they just would always have something extra, just in case. There was nothing the next morning. And what turned around their whole development was they used to bake bread in the evenings and give them a loaf of bread. And these little kids would go to bed with a loaf of bread. And literally, that meant that their limbic system was rewired. And they were able to go, oh, wow, there is food. There is provision. I can relax. I can sleep deeply. I don't have to panic. I don't have to store. And their whole development literally got churned around by giving them a loaf of bread to go to bed at night. How many of us go through life Going, God, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be good to me tomorrow, so I'm going to store some stuff up. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go through life. My little cheeks are going to fill up with my little claim, and I hope you come through one day, but until you do that, I'm, I don't quite believe you will. Genesis 3, the, the lie, belief, was you can't trust God. God's not good. Make, make a plan yourself. Eat the tree. Sort it out yourself. That's the lie that runs throughout history. It's the lie that if we believe, robs us of what it means to be an image bearer, what it means to come out of fight or flight and actually go, rest, Yahweh's good, Yahweh's with me, and I've got my stuff, <laughs> I've got my stuff, but I bring it to him, and he's changing me into becoming an image bearer that will co-rule with him in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. When you fail a test, I hope it wakes you up to reality, and then you, then you can deal with what's really going on. Perhaps you're a guest here, you come regularly and you say, Paul, that's a problem. Whenever I get with God, I just have all my stuff surfaced. And I go, you see, I don't know why I'm even here. I can't, be, I can't be the kind of person that goes to church. I can't be like the worship band people or the pastor. This isn't my thing because I have stuff whenever I get in God's presence. Well, let me put it to you this way. If you were going to a doctor and you had stuff revealed, like the scan and this is going on, this is, would you turn around and say, oh, this is every time I go to a doctor, Every time there's stuff revealed, what's the point? I hate going to doctor. No, you, I hope we'd go, wow, 
there was something going on that I wasn't aware of. And now that I know what's going on, I can visit the doctor again. I can get onto a deeper understanding of how life's meant to be lived. And I can become the kind of person that gives full expression to life. So if you come and you, and you regularly have God put his finger on some things, see that that has been gracious and kind towards you, walking with you. See, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he says, okay, here's my kingdom coming. It's revealing where you're at and it's working in you. And it's not pleasant when it happens, but just like a doctor that gives you a good diagnosis, he's being kind when he does it. So I called them the lows of testing, but in many ways, if we, if we fail tests and we bring our stuff to God, they become, they become markers of, of moments of formation that change us forever. And we take the little bread out of our cheeks and we say, I don't, I don't need to live like that anymore. I've got the bread of life. I've got God. I can trust Him. I can go out into life. It's a low, but it's actually a high. But I wouldn't be doing you a service of, of preaching God's Word properly if I didn't then also let you know about the gift of rest. And this is a short point, but it's an important one. On the seventh day, from verse 27, some of the people went out together, but they found none. Remember on the seventh day, they were not meant to go out. But they, and so when they went out, they found nothing. What's the Lord going to do? He says to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Do you know how huge that is? Do you know how gracious God is? You've had slavery for 420 years. For 420 years, you've had to go, okay, Pharaoh, how far Pharaoh? How much Pharaoh? How many bricks? How many pyramids? How do I do life? You've made no major decisions. You've just been at the beck and call of Pharaoh you are now set free. And what is the first thing God says to you? Build this, do that, charge. No, the first thing he says is rest. Rest. I've given you manna, and I'm giving you manna not just to give you food. I'm giving you manna so you learn what it means to be human, so you learn what it means to be an image bearer. I'm giving you rest. Adam and Eve, when they were created on the sixth day, were told, you're going to have dominion over all. You're going to be co-heirs with me. You're going to walk with me. You're going to do this life with me. And they're ready. Day one on the job. Let's go. I've got my email set up. I want to make a good impression. Day one, oh, it's Sabbath, guys. Day se nothing. Just relax. Day seven, enjoy creation. Cease work. Celebrate. You're like, I haven't even started work. Like, how does this work? God's like, I want to show you what it means to be human. You don't work and then rest. No, you, you rest while you're working. There's, let me phrase that better. You don't, you don't gun it for 50 weeks and then hope a two-week holiday saves you. No, you, you, you start from a place of rest, and then you work. And you do work. Six days of the week, you work. So what it means to be an image bearer is you work. God worked. God created. You take the raw materials of life, and you weave them together for human flourishing. So you do work, but you work from a place of rest. You work with a deep appreciation of who God is. In a culture that is addicted to busyness, when you're asked, how are you doing? You have to go, no, I'm busy. I'm hectic. Busy, hectic. Hectic, busy. Now, I went to Joburg. That's how hectic I am. I went to Joburg. I run with those oaks. You know, it's hectic. And I'm doing Ironman. I just actually got back from East London. Now I'm just, it's hectic. And, and the whole time, you're just told that you've got to be on, 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 and on. And you maybe need to see, like the people of God here, that no, no, no. You, part of being image bearers, you need to rest in Him. You need to know Him. 
you need to work at it, work, move at his pace. For the Mourn family for the last few years, it's meant that because Sunday's a busy day, we go Friday to Saturday from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. We cease and we celebrate. There's prom pizza, there's pleasure stacking, Melba pudding, there's people we enjoy, there's music albums that we haven't heard for a while, there's a Paw Patrol movie that was yesterday's Sabbath celebration, moving tale of Chase. You hear Chase's whole backstory there, it's incredible. We have much to learn around what it means to be an image bearer, but the one thing we've had to learn is that this toxic addiction to play hard, work hard has to stop. And it's better to walk with God at the pace of God and give yourself to work that is incredibly meaningful, but not in a frenzied pursuit of identity. They get drawn out and they get drawn in, and we're going to follow them for the next 40 years uh, as we track their story. Carl will be preaching next week around the next installment as they grow in character and they grow out of being slaves into being sons and daughters of the Most High King. It's a gift to rest. It's a gift after years of slavery to be told, rest. And before we leave, we've got to recognize that it's not just a 24-hour little window that God's introducing. There's a rest behind the rest we need to be aware of. You see, when you read about bitter water being made sweet again, how did that happen? What's going on? Well, there was a log. There was a tree that took bitterness and made it sweet. I don't think you have to think long on who else was on a tree, who else was on a cross, who took the bitterness of life and made it sweet. I don't think it takes a long leap to get to Jesus Christ and the difference he can make. He claimed to the woman at the well, I'm the living water. Oh, you can get water there, but if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. I don't think it's a big leap to take manna, bread from heaven, and see Jesus Christ taking the bread, breaking and saying, this is my body broken for you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And John, right at the start of his gospel, saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, speaking about Jesus as the word of God, the one that we need to live on, whose body is broken for us. And of course, when it comes to Sabbath rest, there's Jesus Christ who declared himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He did some healings on the Sabbath. He's like, Jesus, that's not allowed. You should be at Postacino's having pizza. You should be pleasure stacking. You should be watching Paw Patrol. How dare you work? How dare you heal on the Sabbath? He says, you don't understand. The Sabbath thing is not about keeping rules. It's about, it's about acknowledging the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we all are on pilgrimage. We're not in the promised land yet, but we have the presence of God to guide us. I'm gonna call the band up now, and we're gonna have an opportunity now to worship to respond to this message. Come on up, Aubrey, Melissa, Pierre. And as we worship, just a reminder, there are specific things we can think about. There's a specific cross, there's a specific resurrection. There's, there's specific things in your life that you can think about. Man, God was in that. God was speaking to me in that. And I mustn't forget that. That word, that person, that event. We're too quick to forget what God's done. Deal with the specifics. At the same time, focus on him and say, God, you're leading me on pilgrimage to a promised land. There's image bearing inside of me that you're calling me to. There's some specific events which I face them now. I face them in reality. I, there's some tests I failed. There's some stuff in me. I'm bringing that to you now and I'm asking for your presence to touch me. I want to face the facts, but I face them with a hope because I know you're with me and there's a future. And I do all of this with a sense of it's not just me, but it's my brother and sister on the left and right. And so there could be a verse, it could be an encouragement, it could be a scripture, something that helps raise our sights and makes us realize, man, what a joy it is to gather together. I don't know if you've got a tambourine on you. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But however you give expression, let's just remind ourselves, it is good to be gathered and it's good to worship God. So will you stand with me? 
God, we're going to worship you. We're going to sing of your goodness. And speaking for myself and maybe some other brothers and sisters now, we're going to invite your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and reveal the goodness of God who responds to grumbling, who responds to unbelief, who responds to people who squirrel away their nut and, and fill their cheeks with, with bread. With, you respond to all of, all of that with such grace and such mercy. You give us living water. You give us the bread of life. And you give us the Sabbath rest that our souls are longing for. We come to you now. Come and, come and receive our worship, we pray.